Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. To uh, wander through a world of many confusing twists and turns, and uh, if it were not for you and your clearly spoken word, we would not know who to follow and where to go. And so we want to submit ourselves to your purposes today. And we bow before your word, which is a, a clear sound uh, in, in our world of so many confusing sounds. And we yield ourselves to it, and we want to learn from it. So we submit ourselves to you in this hour, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the very controversial subjects when we consider this question of salvation and how to be saved is this whole issue of repentance. What is meant by repentance? And what role does repentance play in salvation? Should we preach repentance more? Should we preach repentance less? Uh, You pick up gospel tracts from Iraq, or you get them in the mail, as I do often, samples. um, And you notice that the invitations at the end of the gospel tracts are are always different. I always check the invitations first, because I know what they're going to say as far as the content of the gospel. But what about the conditions for the gospel? For example, this one says um, that we have to turn from your sins. It says you have to turn from your sins and self-efforts. And receive Jesus Christ alone as Savior and Lord. It says, how do you do that? And then it says, repent. And in parentheses, turn from your sins. And so it is included in many gospel presentations. Here's another one. A sample prayer that you pray. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God who died for my sins and rose again. I repent of my sins and ask forgiveness. Well, you know, we've heard that kind of language all our lives, and we usually don't, uh, uh, we're not surprised by it. What is it exactly, what exactly does it mean to repent of your sins, and what does that have to do with salvation, if anything? Because, you see, it raises some questions, depending on how we define repentance. If we're to repent of our sins to be, in order to be saved, then the question would arise for some who would think about it, how many sins must I repent of? Or which sins must I repent of? What about the ones I can't think of? What about the ones I can't remember? How do I know when enough is enough? Does a homosexual have to repent of his homosexuality in order to become a Christian? Does an alcoholic have to repent of his alcoholism in order to become a Christian? Does a a person who is prone to gossip need to repent of gossip? Does a man who is prone to anger need to repent of anger? Is someone who is envious need to repent of envy? before they can become a Christian? Where is the line drawn? And do I have to change my conduct, as some would say? Do I have to actually stop doing these things in order to become a Christian and know that I am a Christian? Or others would say that you must, re- you must have a deep remorse and regret for your sins. And the question is, then how sorry do I have to be in order to be saved? Do I have to come to the point of tears, feel like crying? Do I have to actually cry? Uh, Long ago, when they used to give gospel invitations, they had the mourner's bench, and that was the bench up at the front of the church. And when an invitation was given, the people would come up and kind of pray and cry through to salvation. And the idea was that you were to get down on your knees and you were to repent and be sorrowful and remorseful about your sins. And and you you, you were to cry cry it out right there at the mourner's bench. 
And of course, uh, when we we have a question, though, am I sorry enough? Have I done enough? Have I repented enough? If that's how we define repentance in relation to salvation. I have a friend who entered the ministry, but on his way to train for the ministry, he wrote me a letter and he said, what exactly is the role of repentance and salvation? Because I'm not sure that I've repented. He was struggling with, uh, he'd come from a sexually promiscuous background and he'd become a Christian. And uh, and now he was wanting to go into the ministry. And yet he was struggling with many of the habits he had developed and, and the the uh, the lust for the opposite sex and so forth. And he was writing me, I'm not sure if I'm saved. Am I supposed to, how, how do I know that I've repented adequately of all these different things? And it was a, just a, a terrible question for him. This whole idea of repentance has been abused and manipulated uh, to get people in, in the guilt trap. Many people who are not Christians, I think, have been led by a, bad, uh, a weak preaching on repentance. And many people who are Christians have been misled by weak preaching and repentance. And it goes something like this. Can you really be a Christian if you have lust in your heart? You haven't repented from that sin. Can you really be a Christian... If if you were if you smoke cigarettes and then after you became a Christian you continue to smoke cigarettes can you really be a Christian if you've never given up alcohol altogether and so on and so forth just name your sin you see can you really be sure that you're a Christian if you haven't repented of each individual sin in your life that's how it goes so it really boils down again to the question that we've already discussed how can I know for sure that I'm saved on what basis am I saved and what does repentance have to do with that. So we're going to take a look at the word repentance today. We're going to relate it to uh, things like our conduct, our attitude. What does it have to do with sorrow, regret, remorse? We're going to relate it to faith. We're going to look at the confusion that's out there. We're going to clarify it, and then we're going to come to a conclusion. That's what we're going to do in the different sections of our, our message today. Now, I just want to warn you that it's a theological message today, because the whole subject that we've been discussing is the theological subject, the salvation question. We've been discussing things like faith and assurance, and these are theological things. So stay with me on a theological subject, because it's very important. Maybe you'll be able to help someone in the future and clear things up for them. At least come to a clearer presentation of the gospel yourself and your own witness. First, let's talk about the meaning of repentance. The confusion here is over exactly what does the word mean? What do I have to be saved? Does repentance mean to turn from sins? Does it mean to have a deep sorrow about our sins? Does repentance always refer to sins? And uh, what about acts of penance, things that I have to do to show my contrition? Do I have to actually change my conduct? And if so, does this all conflict with what we've already learned about grace, that grace is absolutely free, absolutely unconditional, and if we have to do some things in order to be saved, then does that con contradict the idea of free grace that we've been discussing so far? So those are some of the areas of confusion over the meaning of repentance. Let's try to clarify then. The word repentance comes from, in the Greek word, let me say it for you, and this is where we've got to get a little technical. The Greek word is metanoia, and it literally means uh, to change your mind. Meta means after, or and it's, it comes with it the idea of changing, like metamorphosis. And so meta means after, and then noia is the, it comes from the Greek word nous for mind. So after mind or afterthought, or you change your mind, you see. And um, that's what the word literally means. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that the idea of changing your mind is, is only an intellectual exercise, because even in the Bible, the word noose or mind has the idea not only of our intellect, but of our whole being, really, our whole inner self. 
our moral attitude, um, our inner, our total inner and moral attitude, the inner person. And so when we talk about a change of mind in reference to repentance, we're really talking about a complete change of attitude. I like to call it a change of heart. You see, just a real turnaround inside. That's what the word refers to. But we conclude from this, then, that the def- a proper definition of metanoia has to do with a complete turnaround inside, a complete change of heart. I don't think that it says anything about conduct, and we'll get to that in a moment to show you why. But it refers to that inner change of attitude, a change of heart. Now, here's where we need to pause and look at the English word that we've chosen to translate metanoia. The English word that translators have chosen through the years to translate the Greek word metanoia is the word repent. And uh, many scholars agree that repent is not a very good word to translate the idea of metanoia. Uh, We get the word repent from the Latin word, which which comes from the, the Catholic idea of doing penance or deeds of contrition. After we have sinned, and we have to do certain deeds of penance and penitence. And so we get, we take that concept from the Latin word and, and we get the English word repent, and then we translate the Greek word metanoia. But many scholars agree that it's unfortunate that English just doesn't have a good word to translate metanoia. And that's why I like the term change of heart. I think it comes closer than anything, a lot closer than the, than the Catholic idea of doing penance using the word English word repent. And you understand that the Bible was not written in English, so we have to find a word to match metanoia, and repent's the one we've settled on, but it's not the best word, many say, and I agree. So, it speaks of an inner change, even though there's no perfect English equivalent, we'll work with the word repent. Now, what, is the, what about the fruit of repentance? We've talked about the meaning of repentance. What about the fruit of repentance? In other words, the confusion here is, what does it mean? Does it mean just a change of our inner attitude, or does it mean that it should also and must also result in deep sorrow and regret in order to be repentance? It Does repentance also include a change of conduct, a, a complete turning away from a, anything that we are doing? Well, let's clarify. First of all, the idea of sorrow and regret may accompany biblical repentance. But biblical repentance does not mean sorrow and regret. And the reason we know that is because the Greeks had a separate word. I don't want to throw too much Greek at you today, but just let me give you a second word. It's metamelomai. And that means uh, repentance. That means that is a, it means a deep sorrow, not repentance. It means a deep sorrow and regret or remorse. And that's the word that they chose uh, to describe deep sorrow and regret that could accompany sin or something else. That word is never used in the New Testament for salvation. Okay? And, uh, and a good example of that is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You may want to turn there. And you'll see a difference between the idea of sorrow and regret and repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And look at verse 8. Paul writing to the Corinthians about uh, uh, something he had to confront them over. And uh, they came to repentance about it. They they, they did change their hearts about it. He says in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 7, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. That's the word metamelomai, sorrow, regret. Though I did regret it, same word, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice that you have been made sorry, 
Not that you've been made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Now, see how he separates the idea of sorrow from repentance. They are distinct, but one does lead to the other, he says. But they are not the same thing. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation, not to be regretted. That's the Greek word metamelamai. But the sorrow of the word produces world produces death. See, what he says in verse 10 is that godly sorrow, a good sorrow that comes from God, a conviction for our sins, can lead us to a change of heart. So he's distinguishing. They are not the same things. They're closely related, but they are not the same thing. And so when we repent, it is often accompanied with a godly sorrow. But you also can repent without that kind of sorrow. In fact, he says in verse 10 that you can actually sorrow and have regret and remorse, but not be saved. There is a sorrow of the world, he says, that produces death. Some people are sorry about their sins, but they never have their sins forgiven through Christ. And so that sorrow only results in death. You can repent without being saved. You can be sorrowful about your sins and yet not be saved. So there's a difference between just the idea of sorrowing and the biblical idea of repentance. There's also a difference between the idea of repentance as used in the New Testament and a change of conduct. This is where we answer the question, does the word repentance mean that I change my conduct? Is it an outward change as well as an inward attitude? Well, let me say this. Many people define repentance as a turn from sins. That we actually turn from all of our sins, we stop doing them. And I agree that there's a close connection and that's the result of repentance. But the word repent does not mean turn. And of any physical or outward sense, it speaks of an inner attitude. The reason we know that is because there is a Greek word that, that is translated turn over and over again in the New Testament. And it is not the word metanoia. It's a different word. In fact, here's another example. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for turn, which is easily pronounced, it's shuv. The, the Hebrew word for Old Testament is you, the Hebrew word for turn in the Old Testament is used a thousand times. But when the Greek translators wanted to translate the Old Testament, they never once translated that word turn as metanoia, with the word metanoia or repentance, showing that they understood that there was a difference between an outward turn in our conduct and an inward change of our attitude. Turn to Acts chapter 26, and we'll illustrate this one. And how the Bible distinguishes between the inward attitude and the outward conduct, although they are very closely related. All right, Acts chapter 26 and verse 20. Paul is giving his testimony, and uh, he's talking about the heavenly vision in verse 19. And he's talking to King Agrippa, and he says, But declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. And what did he declare? That they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Now, the first thing he told them is that they should repent. Okay? Then he said that they should turn to God. And then thirdly, he says, do works befitting repentance. The only thing is, is I don't know how your Bible says it, it's not clear in my version of the Bible, but that third phrase, do works befitting repentance, is really a, what we call a participial phrase. It's a participle. And a participle never stands on its own. It modifies other verbs. And so what he's saying here is you should repent and turn to God doing works befitting repentance. Or 
repent and turn to God. And while you're doing that, you are doing works befitting repentance. Now, if there are works befitting repentance, then that must make them different from repentance. You understand the distinction there? One is the root, that's repentance, and one is the fruit, that's the works that befit or are suitable for repentance. And so he separates them here. We repent in our attitude, we turn to God, and as we do that, we are doing works. And so they are closely related, but they are distinct in his mind. They are related, but not confused. And so when we talk about repentance, we assume that if somebody has an inner change, they're also going to have an outer change. It's a logical result. It's the fruit from the root. And we would expect to see an outward change. But technically speaking, and we sometimes we need to get technical, especially when we're presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to be accurate. Technically speaking, repentance is not a change of conduct. It is the change of inner attitude that leads to an outward change of conduct. Now, What's the conclusion from this discussion? Well, we have to distinguish the root from the fruit. That's very important as we present the gospel. Repentance is the root. The fruit may be a change of conduct. The fruit may be deep sorrow or grief. But repentance is that inward change. And they're not exactly the same thing. Now, the third discussion has to do with the focus of repentance. In other words, what do we repent of or what do we repent from? I read one author who was arguing about a certain meaning for repentance, and he says, repentance is always a turning from sin. Repentance is always a turning from sin, he says. Well, let's talk about that. Usually, when we hear the word repentance, we assume that it has as its focus sin. But I want to show you that that's not necessarily so in the Bible. You know, the two most popular words, unpopular words in the English language are sin and repent. And we usually relate those two ideas together. But I want to show you that the word repent really needs to be defined by context. It it really means nothing, and it's it's, it's really undefinable in and of itself, like the word dozen. We use the word dozen. Next question is, dozen what? Dozen eggs? Dozen people? You know? So when we say that we use the word repentance, the next question is repent of what? What are we changing our mind about? Is it something good or something bad? All right? Let's clarify If here's here's one argument that the word repentance is not always used about sin. In the Old Testament, it is said that God repents 37 times. Does God repent of sin? He can't repent of sin. That's theologically absurd. We don't accept that. So he must be repenting of something else. It must be morally neutral or it must be in accord with his his uh, character as we know it. So if God repents of sin, then we know that the word repent is not always used of evil or wickedness or sin in the Bible. 37 times, the Greek, Greek, Greeks translated the Hebrew idea, uh, with the word metanoia and also in the English, in the King James Version, the word repent is used. Then I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 20 and look at verse 21. Paul is explaining to the Ephesian elders about his ministry. He says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 21 that he was testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is the repentance, the focus of repentance sin. No, the focus of repentance is God. He was testifying they needed to change their attitude about God. They needed to change their thinking about how they were related to God. So the focus of repentance in chapter 20, 21 
is not something bad, it's something good. They needed to change their mind about God himself. We could go on and show some other examples. But um, the point is, is that in the Bible, in the New Testament, the word repentance is not always associated with sin. It is some, it, you have to ask the question, what is the context speaking of? In fact, in the New Testament, when the word repentance is focused on sin, it's usually speaking to believers, not unbelievers. And so over and over again, we, re- we need that Christians need to repent of their sins. For example, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 25, Paul is talking about how to deal with somebody in the congregation who's being quarrelsome and disagreeable. And he says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. I think he's speaking there of a Christian in the congregation who's being disagreeable. Well, what do we conclude then? What we conclude is when we come across the word repentance, we consult the context. We read around it to see what God is saying. Repent of what? Repent of our attitude about God. Repent of our self-righteousness. Repent of our sins. Repent about who Jesus is. And so in Acts chapter 2, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he said, this day uh, I declare to you that you have crucified the Messiah. It says that they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, what, what must we do? And Peter says, repent. Repent of what? You need to change your mind about who Jesus is. You crucified this man named Jesus. Now you have to understand that he is God, the Messiah. So they needed to change their mind, not only about who he was, but also what they had done to him. In short, let me put it this way. When we use the word repent in reference to salvation, we must repent of whatever is keeping us from coming to Christ. You see, that's the point. What is it that we have to change our mind about? For some, there's a sin. For some, there's many sins that we have to change our mind about before we can come to Christ. For others, it's just that they it's not so much the negative, but it's more the positive. They need to repent of and change their mind about who Christ is. They've never really understood who he is. And so again, the whole idea is, what do we change our mind about? It's whatever keeps us from coming to Christ. That's the best way I know how to put it. Well, what then is the relationship of repentance to faith? This is our fourth discussion. You see, there's some confusion here because the Bible says, in some places, repent and believe. Does that mean that salvation takes two steps? We are to repent and believe? Or how are they related together? Are there two steps to salvation? If not, how do we relate them? Let's clarify. I believe that the two words are often used synonymously. We would say that there are two sides of the same coin. And repentance is used with faith a number of times in the Bible. For example, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. I think Jesus said, uh, repent and believe the gospel. So the two things are mentioned, repent and believe the gospel. And sometimes in the Bible, it is used in the place of faith. Jesus said, I didn't come to call sinners to repentance, the righteous to repentance. (laughs) How do you say it? I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay? In other words, he's calling sinners to faith. And, uh, and so sometimes it's just substituted in that way. Look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. And here I think you'll see the synonymous relationship. 1730. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. All right, so it's very clear what he's saying there. Um, 
Paul is saying that God commands everyone everywhere to repent, to a change of heart. Okay? And then when we go on, it says in verse 34, however, some men joined him and believed. So you see, some people did exactly what he was telling them to do. They repented, and I think that includes the idea that they believed. They came to Christ. They changed their mind about who Christ was or about their condition, and they came to Jesus Christ as their Savior. Another place we see repentance used in the, with, in the idea of faith is in 2 Peter 3, 9, where it says that God is, uh, is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Of course, the idea is that all would be saved or that all would come to faith. And so the idea there is used also for faith. Let me say it this way. I think that repentance is speaking in more general terms than the word faith, which is a smaller circle of meaning. The word repentance has to do with our overall right relationship with God. To have a right relationship with God, we need to change our thinking about some things about maybe something that we've done or who we are or our sins or about who God is or who Christ is and what he's done for us. It could be positive or negative. We have to repent. We have to change our thinking. But then we also have to believe in order to be saved. And believe is a smaller circle inside the larger circle. To believe is the specific the specific act of changing our thinking about Christ and what he did and our relationship and our need for him. So that when we come to Christ, In faith, we're asking him to save us from our sins. When we come to Christ and ask him to be our savior, we are recognizing our sin. We're changing our mind about our sin and our need, and and we recognize our need for him. So we are doing repentance. We are repenting in that sense. Repentance prepares for faith. Faith completes repentance. Repentance doesn't necessarily include faith. But faith always includes repentance. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, a person can repent. The Jews could repent from their sin and yet not come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Under the terms, and that's why the word repentance is used so much in the Synoptic Gospels, but never in the Gospel of John, I believe. Because in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus was coming with a message to the Jews. And to the Jews, repentance was the way of dealing with sin under the Mosaic Covenant. They had to repent of their sin and get back under the terms of the covenant into a right relationship with God. But that didn't save them. Christ saved them. So they had to repent and believe. But then when we come to the Gospel of John, where now that middle wall has been broken down between Jew and Gentile, the all-inclusive message is believe. And so as in review, remember, believe is found 98 times in the Gospel of John, and the word repentance not found once. Because if you believe in Christ as your Savior, you're including the idea of repentance. But repentance can sometimes not be unto salvation. It can fall short of faith. Repentance prepares for faith. Remember when John the Baptist, he says he baptized unto unto repentance? It was a baptism of repentance. It was to prepare people for faith in Jesus Christ. To get them to change their attitude about their disobedience to the Mosaic Covenant. And that they're falling away from true religion. If I were to diagram them, it would just be a big circle would be repentance, and a smaller circle would be faith. And so faith includes repentance, but repentance doesn't include faith, necessarily. So, our conclusion is that in the New Testament, the word repentance is often used synonymously with the idea of faith. And there is overlap. And that repentance had more significance to the the Jews, but as time went on, 
John chose not to use the word. The Apostle Paul only used it twice. One was in chapter 2 of Romans in reference to the Jews. Paul only used it twice in reference to salvation. So you see it begins to fade away as time goes on as the word that pictures the condition of salvation. And that's because faith more easily embraces the Gentiles. And it's, it's an invitation that easily embraces everyone. But repentance had sent specific messages to the Jews, I believe. We look at the Gospel of John and we don't find the word repentance there. You know, even though some have tried to put it there. We, we talked about John chapter 3 and how um, John, Jesus referred to the, the story in the wilderness from Numbers 21 where they were bitten by snakes and they were to look at the, uh, the bronze snake on the pole and Jesus said just in the same way that you uh, look, it's, Jesus should be lifted up and, and whoever believes in him would be saved. And there's no word there of repentance or turning from sins specifically. And yet, uh, there have been some who said they had to drag themselves to look at the post and they had to renounce everything in their past. Jesus mentioned sin to the woman at the well. He, he mentioned that she had five husbands and was living with somebody else right now. And he never demanded that she forsake those sins. It was certainly implied in his message. And I think he was showing with that example that she had this great void in her and a great thirst for something more in her life and she really needed the living water. But he never made demands of her. Even though I've heard many preachers preach that he was demanding she turn from those sins. We don't we just don't find that as an emphasis in the New Testament when the gospel is presented. Well, let me state some conclusions for you, because I know this is heavy theology, but let me show you how it can be important, I believe. In sharing the gospel, I think we should emphasize faith. I think that's what the Bible emphasizes. It's not wrong to talk about repentance, but when you do, just be careful to explain it, what it is and what it isn't. It's a change of heart. It's a change of attitude. Be careful that we don't define repentance as a turning from every single sin, lest we confuse people and leave them in, in a quandary about their salvation. How could they ever be saved if they thought they had to turn from every single sin? But what is it that's keeping them from Christ? Is it an attitude about God, an attitude about who Christ is, a question about what he's done? What do they need to repent of? Are they unwilling to give up something in their life? which they know that they would be asked to give up should they come to Christ, then maybe they need to repent of a certain sin. But be careful in your sharing of the gospel to emphasize faith just as Jesus did, just as John did, just as Paul did. Explain what faith is. If you choose to use the word repentance, explain what it is. What we're trying to be careful of is not to make repentance in any way a way of earning or meriting salvation. We don't want to convey to people the idea that there's something you have to do or work at or in any way earn your salvation. And so if you can turn from sins, if you, and then if, you, if it focuses on outward conduct, then there are things that we have to do. And it, we end up in a system where we have to do acts of penance and contrition in order to be saved. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. When we do that to somebody, we steal from them any kind of assurance that they can have of salvation because nobody fully repents. Nobody uh, is, is clean from sin and remains clean from sin. So we all sin, and when we do, then we would question our salvation. Have I really repented about that as my friend did and wrote me about? 
Well, what if sin then becomes an issue? Let me give you an example. For example, what if what if somebody said to you, well, if, if I become a Christian, then, uh, or let's put it this, let's say they put it this way. Do I need, they're living with another person of the opposite sex. Do I need to stop living with this woman in order to become a Christian? You see, what would you say? It's a tricky question, you know, because you, you, you need to walk a very fine line there. You don't want to say, oh, no. I mean, you don't want to give the impression that, oh, you can do whatever you want to. On the other hand, you don't want to give the impression that doing something will earn them salvation. Because if, if, for example, you said that, well, yeah, you have to give up living with that person in order to have salvation, well, then, well, what about gossip? And what about anger? And what about envy? And what about cigarettes or drinking? You know, there's a million other things we could name. Why pick on that one sin? It's all sin before God. So where do you draw the line? How do you answer somebody who says, do I have to give up this in order to become a Christian? Here's what I would say to that person. I would say, leaving that woman will not earn you, will not get you into heaven. But I must be honest with you that when you come to Christ as Savior, the first thing he's going to ask you is to leave that woman. You see? So you're distinguishing the difference between salvation by grace through faith and the repentance that accompanies a Christian lifestyle, Christian living, the things that God expects of us as Christians. Make it clear that giving up the woman, giving up the alcohol, giving up the envy, the anger, the lust, whatever the problem is, giving that up will not get you into heaven. But be honest. When you come to know Christ as your Savior, that kind of conduct has nothing God does not want in his children. I remember speaking to somebody when I was a new Christian. He was a friend of mine, and he lived a very promiscuous and licentious lifestyle, involved in all kinds of things. And um, and I remember telling him the gospel and explaining the gospel to him. And he said to me, he said, you mean if I... If I believe like you said I do, then I, I I could be saved. I said, yeah. He said, but then I'd have to give up all my life, right? And I said, well, giving up your life won't get you saved, but but you're right that God expects that of you after you're saved. Well, he never got saved. He was honest. He was an honest man. He He knew the implications of salvation. He knew what God would expect of him, and he never trusted Christ. And to this day, he still has not trusted Christ. As his savior. So be careful how we deal with the issue. You see, the the real issue in salvation is not what we do with sins, but what Jesus already did with our sin. And that's where we want to keep the focus. Let me say that again. The issue in salvation is not what we do with our sins. The issue in salvation is what Christ already did with your sins. And what Christ did with your sins was he paid the price for all of them and erased the slate, the list that was against you. And he paid the price once and for all. He did away with all your sins. He knocked down and removed every barrier that could keep you from coming to him. So that the way is just wide open. So the only sin that condemns us in the Bible, the only sin that keeps us from salvation in the Bible, the only sin that keeps us from salvation in the Bible is the sin of unbelief. And the gospel of John comes back to that 
over and over again. It is the sin of unbelief. And that's why John emphasizes the idea of belief so much. Let me read to you John 3.18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not give up his homosexuality is condemned already. Is that what it says? He who does not give up his licentious lifestyle is condemned already. Is that what it says? No. It says, he who does not believe is condemned already. The only sin that sends people to hell is the sin of unbelief. You see, all the other sins have been taken care of by Jesus Christ. I don't care how terrible they are. I don't care what it is they have done. I don't care what it is you have done today. There's no sin that's greater or larger than God's grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And the only thing that will keep you from having yourself cleansed and pure and receiving eternal life is coming and accepting Jesus Christ through faith in him, accepting the truth about him and what he's done for you, and asking him to be your savior. And so the only question for us is, what will we do today with Christ, who has died for your sins? Let's bow in a word of prayer. There's two messages here. One for those who... One message for those who have wondered, have I repented enough? Can God accept me as I am? And what I'm trying to tell you today is that God accepts you exactly as you are. And if you come to faith and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then your sins are forgiven. And you will continue to sin, but God has given us a way of confessing those and maintaining a walk with him. But the idea of repentance is that inner attitude of turning from whatever would keep us from Christ, reliance on self, reliance on works, reliance on feelings, and then completing that with the idea of faith or accepting what God has done for us. That's all it takes to be saved. And the only sin that will keep you is the sin of not believing God's promise that whoever believes in him has eternal life. And I just wonder today, in our time together, if there's anyone here who would say, I want to claim that promise once and for all and know Jesus is my Savior. I'm going to come to him by faith today and accept his provision for my sins, the forgiveness of my sins. If you've made that decision today, I'd like you to just raise your hand for a couple of seconds so I can know who you are and maybe talk with you a little bit later. Is there anyone who would say, I want to come to Christ today and trust in him alone for my salvation, place all my faith in him? Nothing that I do. Now, the second message is really a whole other message, so I'm not going to preach it, but as you're in an attitude of prayer, you as a Christian are asked to repent of any attitude that is not worthy of God. Maybe as the Spirit of God searches your heart, there's an attitude that's unworthy of Him today. You need to repent of that. You need to change your, your mind. You need to confess it. That means to agree with God about it, see it from His perspective. Repent of the pride or repent of that anger or that bad word or that hurt or harm you cause somebody. Repent of a sluggish spirit in your relationship to God. There's so many things that Christians need to repent of. What is God telling you today? And then will you rise up from prayer and do works befitting repentance? Change your conduct as well. Father, we thank you so much for um, the straight line of the scriptures. We thank you so much that it offers us uh, hope by grace and not in our own efforts. 
Or who could be saved, Lord, if it depended at all on us? We're so imperfect. We're so prone to sin. I thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, who forgave all of our sins, who promises uh, to give us eternal life if we will, will but come to him. And I pray that everybody in the sound of my voice today will do exactly that if they have not. Will come and believe. Freely receive the gift that you have for them in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.